Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Party Pod is brought to you by the book Ending Addiction for Good, which is by Cliffside Treatment Center founder and CEO Richard Tate and Dr. Constance Scharf, Cliffside's addiction researcher. Through self-disclosure, case studies, scientific facts, and firsthand experience, Tate and Scharf explain how anyone can recover from addiction. I'm a big fan of the book. It's I'm not the only one. It's received rave reviews, and it also made it into the VMA's gift bag, and you just know those people need to hear this message. You can get the book by going to Amazon, or you can go to Cliffside's website, which is cliffsidemalibu.com. Get the book. Get it now. I recommend it. Hi there. It's Anna David with After Party Pod. Oh, my God. My guest today is so outstanding. You will soon hear that, but she's also been an incredible influence in my life. Uh, She, we discuss it at length, but she's the woman who got me to quit smoking and quite what a big deal that is. It's hard to actually explain how dedicated I was to the art of smoking. I saw it as an art, actually. And from the time I was 12 years old, and I remember driving... No, I wasn't driving at 12, but I smoked first at 12 um, at a David Bowie concert, which was my my first concert. And I, and I mentioned that because people often ask, what was your first concert? And I'm, I always feel super cool that I can say David Bowie even though I had no idea who that person was and it was just, you know, my friend got tickets and her mom took us. And the concert, the first concert that I loved is so much more embarrassing and accurate and that was Thompson Twins and I cried and wept like a a Beatles fan or something. Um, You know, I mean like real crazy crying because I was so moved by Hold Me Now. But Anyway, at the David Bowie concert, I I smoked my first cigarette, and then um, I remember when I got my license, thinking I was so cool driving and smoking and and thinking, one day, one day I'm going to be a real smoker. I had that thought. That day came sooner, I think, than I'd anticipated by the time I was a sophomore in college. I was was a chain smoker, and, and I kept that up for a long time, and... Uh, then when I was nine months sober, I met this lady, and this lady dared to confront me about my smoking. And unlike all the other people that had confronted me about my smoking, because I seem to get lectures all the time, I think that if you live in California and you, and you smoke, that even the people selling me cigarettes would lecture me. Why do you smoke? Anyway, there was something about the way this woman talked to me, and there was something about this woman that caused me to 
never smoke again. And that was, um, it was July 19th was my date. It was July 19th, 2001. So it's been a long time. And so it, she really took me under her wing. She had been sober a long time when I first got sober. And I was so flattered that this super uber fabulous woman had t- took this interest in me. And it really, it was amazing. And over the years, uh, so when I first met her, she told me, I, I really want to write a book. She's this, been this fabulous hairdresser for years, and she before she bottomed out in her addiction, have I even told you her name? This is so irresponsible of me. I guess I'm heightening the anticipation. Well, her name is Carrie White, and that is also the name of Carrie in the movie Carrie, but that has nothing to do with this Carrie White. Um she uh, she grew up in L.A. and outside of L.A. and um, she became this huge hairdresser and was doing Elvis's hair and and Anne Margaret and everybody and and she was doing it on roller skates and she was that woman. She also married three times and she has five kids now and and then she really bottomed out in her addiction and lost it all and came back and now when by the time I met her you know was in the process of opening her own salon again and she now it's in Beverly Hills it's super fabulous and um, she got all the celebrities back and and then this this book that she really wanted to write she wrote it it came out last year and it became a Los Angeles Times bestseller and she's just an amazing spirit and an amazing woman and she's 29 years sober and um, what else can I say about Carrie White I mean uh, listen to the interview and you'll and you'll fall for her the same way I did Um, as I as I often tell her she put a spell on me because you couldn't get me to quit smoking without putting a spell on me so hopefully she'll put a spell on you this is Carrie White here I go recording us. Carrie White. Hello. Hi. So, okay, um, we were just talking about how when we first met, and I just thought you were the coolest woman I'd ever met because you were dating somebody who was younger than me. This adorable would know. You're giving me a look like... No, no. I, that's all I did. I, I never checked my driver's license. I, I was as old as whoever I was looking at. That's, that was called the 90s. But isn't that still <laughs> the 2013s? Well, you know, it happens. Well, so, okay, so this, the, the famous story when we met, and it's famous only because I tell it constantly. Oh, dear. And have written about it. Is and okay, I have written about I it. I have, I have. Oh, okay, so so it's about you putting a spell on me. So, oh yeah, I was nine months sober, uh-huh. and I uh, went to dinner mm-hmm. with a friend and two women I did not know. You being one of them, and I we were at Ivy by the Shore because we're super fabulous. Yes, and I did what I always did during dinner, which is that I got up like three or four times to go outside to smoke a cigarette because you couldn't smoke in restaurants then, right? Even then, and. Earlier that night, I had accidentally, I'd been smoking, and my cigarette had hit some woman's, like, shawl. I don't know if you remember this part. And, and you, just, you just looked at me so plainly, and you said to me, you know, honey, I don't know why you're doing that. You know, you burned that woman's clothing. And, you know, you're really putting a smoke screen between you and God. And I looked at you, and all, you know, I had sort of gotten, I'd been smoking two packs of cigarettes a day for 13 years. 
And so I'd gotten little lectures from people. You know, every time I bought cigarettes, they'd go, why do you smoke? And, and, and I was so used to sort of wanting to punch people. And I, and I, and I just looked at you and I said, what? <laughs> and you said, well, getting sober and, and continuing to smoke is like switching seats in the Titanic. Why would you do that? And I was like, what? And you kept saying a couple things. And then you said the key thing, which was that a guy I had a crush on went to the 12-step to the program for people quitting smoking. And that it was the meeting was the next day and that you would meet me there. And I thought, you know, who is this lady as I drove home smoking cigarettes? I went to work the next day, I smoked, I smoked. And halfway through the day, I decided I was going to go meet you at that meeting. And I uh, never smoked again. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that crazy? It's such a paradigm shift. You know, you can hear one sentence. Yeah. The power of the word, huh? But it was you, too. I mean, you said it in this just non-judgmental way that was so and you had you know your joy for life and your sort of zest for recovery is was, has always been so inspiring but you put it around cigarettes for, for me then and it changed my life i mean i i had tried to quit it before. does quitting smoking changes your life but i you don't understand that i did not think i was capable of that i thought who does who does it's so attached to our breath every time we breathe we suck in that poison and that addiction yeah. is kept alive but here's the trick it's like why are we suffocating ourselves don't we want to live don't we come to these programs to recover why would we not want to live and then continue to commit suicide on a moment-to-moment -moment basis yeah. don't they pull people out of buildings for smoke inhalation right okay i just you know it was like the denial you know i think it was like when the last like the last layer of the rules don't apply to me well not really because i still think the rules don't apply in certain ways but like to smoke to continue to smoke you have to believe that the rules don't apply to you because if you if they did, you'd know you'd die a horrible death. Well, you also haven't spiritually arrived to have enough self-love to see yeah. that you're hurting yourself. Yeah. This is not a moral issue, yeah. again. Yeah. This is about there's nothing in your body that isn't getting hurt from this action. Right. You cannot smoke and think it doesn't hurt you. Right. It's not okay. Not because it's a moral issue or it's stinky or your teeth get yellow or somebody doesn't like it that doesn't smoke. You are hurting your circulatory system. You are hurting your heart. You are hurting your lungs. You're hurting your skin. Right. You're hurting the cuticles of your toenails, your eyelashes. Right. It, right. it is destructive and it is the last really obvious destructive thing that we are ingesting yeah I mean there there is sugar there yeah. is you know there's uh, there's things you can break down but those things in moderation can be dealt with there's not one hit off a cigarette that we don't know isn't producing a cancer cell right 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 yeah it was like somehow you had the ability to break my denial down and 
it, it was just the craziest thing. So, okay, so I went to that, I went to the meeting. I met you, the guy I had the crush on. I actually still remember who it was, although like the crush disappeared. Well, okay, so then after the meeting, he and I went to coffee. So I didn't smoke from, let's say, three o'clock that afternoon. And then I got to the meeting and I thought, well, maybe I'll just try not smoking the rest of the night. Who knows, you know? And I went to coffee with him where he told me that he'd had an affair with his cousin. What? <laughs> I was immediately over my crush on him, but it got me through that first night. And I went home and I was like, okay, maybe I just won't smoke. And then the next day I sort of thought, this is a lark, I'm gonna try this again. And I did that. This is a lark. Then, that used to be a name of a cigarette, I think, larks. <laughs> I don't know. But then up. I did that until I met you probably at the next meeting. And then, and then I quit and the first three weeks were the worst hell I'd ever experienced in my life. And from the, once that ended, I said, Oh my God, if I'd known how easy this was going to be, I would have done it years yeah. ago. Yeah. You know? Um, but, but so that's how we met. And, and, and yes. let me, let me interject this though. Isn't it interesting? You clearly, we can clearly see evolution as we look at social practices of consciousness. Right. Where before, you know, just smoking is in every single film you see right. everybody is like they've got a fork in one hand and a cigarette in another so we do evolve consciousness does evolve yeah i mean and we've seen smoking the awareness around that evolve in in 10 years i mean a very short period of i time. used to have a cigarette in my mouth when i went into the vegetable department in the market to go oh you know get a salad for my family i remember smoking in a movie theater of course i remember um Airplanes, airplane. airplanes, yeah. of course. But yeah, there was this thing. I mean, there was. I think the fact that you know, you know, smoking going hand in hand with drug addiction and alcoholism is sort of this. You know, I aspired to be. Well, first of all, I didn't value my life. I didn't value my life at all. But I thought it was cool. Like I thought it was. I thought. It, I guess. I think I thought not valuing my life was cool. Do you know my bottom of my addiction? I. Uh, didn't think that I had a good night unless I had knotted out and burned my fingers with uh, a cigarette. Uh, That's my bottom with wow. smoking. Not that I quit smoking at that point, but I'm saying that's how it carried and stayed with me. It was still like such a... Well, and I remember, because I used to take like 10 Ambien a night, I remember that I'd, I'd get on my couch I take the ten Ambien, and I you know the best thing about ten. Yeah, the best thing about Ambien. is it called Ambien Ten, or you took ten of them? I took ten of them. I built up to like because I was supposed to be cutting them in, in quarters, and mm -hmm. I was taking ten. And when you take that much Ambien, you will get knocked out. Like when the when the what's the guy who counts you out and says count yeah ten anesthesiologist. Yeah. And I would be smoking, and I'd go. I just hope I hope I f I put the cigarette out before this happens. Like that's what I would do. The insanity. I know. It, it's insane to smoke. It's insane to suffocate ourselves when nobody thinks. And if you'll notice, people who smoke, they even hold the cigarette away from their visual off to the side. Mm -hmm. They blow whoof, off to the side of their mouth. Like, smoking? Who's smoking? I don't see anybody smoking. Right. <laughs> it's like, right. it, there's, a, there's a part of you that, like, tries to be like... That's so interesting. Yeah, I get rid of it. Mm. Oh, dancing. I mean, I hate it. I go to the club and somebody's, like, on the dance floor smoking. Talk about you burn that lady's shawl. 
How many yeah. times I got burned in the in the eighties at the pink? I you know, yeah. somebody with their cigarette, I'd be so annoyed. It's like Okay, so let's so let's go through the life of Carrie White. Oh my God! I know, how I much? Know. No, not not with is, every detail. Is this going to be a, a documentary that will run <laughs> three and a half hours in the theater? Series, it's twelve hours. <laughs> that's just part one. This is a week show, right? Um, For a week? No, we're gonna do we're gonna do highlights. See of my Hollywood life. Okay, so Wait, hello. I, that, do, do you think you think I could know that? So, okay, so one of the first things you said to me, besides, you know, you're putting a smokescreen between you and God, is I'm writing a memoir. Yes. Well, I didn't even think, I didn't even know that word. Yeah. You said I'm writing something? I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book, you said. Yeah. And Uh, I I may have used that old-fashioned term. Autobiography. What's you the difference understand. between a memoir and an autobiography? I really there's no it. difference. One's French and one's English. I mean, there's no difference. <laughs> well, but it bugs me a little bit when people say my memoirs. Wars? Yeah, it's yeah, that's horrible. horrible. But people say it. Maybe it's acceptable. Right? I don't know. But my next memoir. Well, I, I will do another one. You, you are doing uh, it. Book two. Yeah. yeah. Everything I forgot to tell you in the first book. Well, I was so, so, <laughs> that's what you said to me, and this year it came out and was a Los Angeles Times bestseller. Thank you. Yeah. How amazing is that? It's actually last year, but I opened number eight on the LA Times bestseller list. Oh, my Pretty God. exciting. And you were written about everywhere. New York Times I know. style section. Full page. Full page. I didn't, but that wasn't for pay. That wasn't an no. advertisement. No, no. They did. I had five pages in the London Times, their calendar. So, so, okay, tell us, and you know, me and my many listeners who are sitting here with bated breath, the story. Now, how did you get this book deal? And I Oh, mean, you want to know about the book deal? No, I want to know about the life that led up to Well... Okay, Pacoima. It's all such a big story, isn't it? It starts in Pacoima, I know that much. Well, it actually started on Burton Way, which okay. is a little street... Uh, right near where we are right called now. ...called the Gateway to Beverly Hills. It's mm-hmm. like, we never even heard of that word, adjacent right. Beverly Hills. Adjacent Pacoima. Adjacent Harlem. Right. Right? Watts. Anyway, so I was born on Burton Way. Mm-hmm. And um, then I was uprooted mm-hmm. uh, to Pacoima. So, the really the truth is that I started to write this book because of all the assistants and young hairdressers coming in would ask me so many questions about the '60s and the '70s mm-hmm. because I was the first female to be in this field acknowledged. I mean, even Sally Hirschberger said to uh, a friend of hers, which is a mutual friend of mine, who said to me, Carrie, you know Carrie White started all of this, don't you? Mm. And that was really sweet because I really uh, hadn't had conversation or much with Sally. And so I was, and I love her and think she's a superstar. I mean, she is. 
and uh, so that uh, that was very flattering that she was yeah. acknowledging me yeah. for being a trailblazer here in this field. Yeah. And uh, even though clearly I was, <laughs> yeah. I am. There I'm... wasn't any women. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and so anyway, so people would ask me uh, questions, hairdressers, and I would talk about you know starting how how I started and my first salon, and then um, more than that they would start asking me about the town and they started so it was just all a big conversation about the times that they were so interested in Mm -hmm. the young kids that are 20 today and um well, now they're 40 because when I started writing this book it was 20 right, years right. ago. But anyway, those kids are even asking me. Now, even the young kids now are some of the biggest fans I have for Uppercut for my book because right. they all wish they were born in this particular right, era and right. time. Uh, we have a lot more hair advantages today from extensions and uh, styling tools and products. And, right. and there's uh, so many fantastic women in this field now. Right. And it's a whole different world. And there wasn't such a thing is like uh, you know red carpet hair and you right. just that was your client and she was up for an Oscar hi Faye Dunaway I'll meet you at the hotel you right, know what I mean right right and um, which there's a picture of her giving me a big kiss the night she won the award for Bonnie and Clyde that was my hairdo uh, but they were just our clients we didn't even think right. like the, the big business that it is now right and, right and you would really even get excited to see Elizabeth Taylor coming to an event because it was her jewelry, it was her clothes, what was she going to wear? Right. It wasn't uh, loaned by, borrowed by, you right. wear you have five dresses, we're trending this, or right, how right. it is today. It's yeah. such a huge marketing, it's all a big damn commercial. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. back up, back up. So everybody was asking me and I thought, I'm so tired of telling the same story that right. I, I'm going to write a book. So that was in my head. And of course, um, this is after I got sober. Mm-hmm. I would think about writing a book before, but of course, I could never find a pencil or a piece of paper. <laughs> right. Well, and what's a computer? Life was talking. There weren't computers. Right. Even when I started writing, I wrote Uppercut all in Stenopad. I think you helped me transfer some of it. You, there was a computer involved. I remember there, there was, was a, computer a computer finally in yeah, the 90s. Yeah, 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 in yeah, yeah. the 90s, I got a computer. But yeah. anyway, okay, so here's the premise. I started writing this book to talk to all the hairdressers that were coming into this field that are my age now that I was when I was first started because I I had my first salon right out of beauty school mm-hmm. just by that was there was it was fearless to mm-hmm. get a business it wasn't even a thought I just really wanted to control my environment <laughs> I right, think right probably my you know the subtext of my story is certainly alcoholism right Anyway, and um, and then people would say, "Well, who did you work for before that?" And I so then I back up and, "Well, how did you get into this business?" Then right. I would back up Hollywood High, you know, and right. ask someone asking me to model for them. Well, how'd you meet that guy? And then I would back up to junior high when I was in a foster home and he was a friend of the foster parents. And right. and then, well, how'd you end up there? And then, right, right, so right, it right. all goes back to born on Burton Way. Right. And then it's a huge story that I did not feel that ambitious about when I first began the journey of writing I was just going to start it with my first salon hi is this the budget shop depends on your budget lady because I my first salon was a cheap little budget shop on on Brighton Way, which is now Armani Emporio. Well, and it it became not a cheap little budget shop. Oh after my God, a while. no, no. So okay, so 
So I would love to, let's trace, like, let's, let's go to the story, uh, talk, focusing on addiction and then getting into the hair as well. All right. So, all right. Uh, I was five years old when my father had already been gone and I started mixing drinks for my mother and her boyfriends. Mm Mm-hmm. It wasn't complicated. It was bourbon and Mm 7-Up. It was warm. It was sweet. It was my connection to my mother. I would sip that drink if I would fill it too full to carry it over on a little tray to my mother Mm. and her boyfriends. And that's how my first page begins. Mm. And so when I tasted that bourbon and 7-Up and that it was felt so good and warm and I knew oh I get it it smelled like mom it smelled like mom it was like hmm you know you get the it just burned enough like a good chili pepper you know right, what I mean? right. so then I started mixing a drink for myself literally at six years old wow. by the time I was seven uh, I was always thinking about that bourbon making mm-hmm. that little drink and then one time I Get past my mother's desk. She worked at home. She was an artist, and there was a cup of coffee on her uh, desk, and I sipped that, and it was all laced with bourbon. Mm-hmm. And then I went, "Oh, I get it. You put it in everything." Right. Wow. <laughs> and and that was my again. These are important decision making yeah. moments of my life. Yeah. That were based and being led by alcohol. Right. Right. I did not know the word alcoholism, alcoholic, anything like that. It was, that's what it was. I do remember there was an effect that this had on me that where somebody else might spit it out. Right. I wanted more. Yeah. I also know that I remember that cherry flavored cough syrup that had codeine in it. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of warm and fuzzy. Mm -hmm. And then this one man married my mother, Mm -hmm. picked us up from Burton Way, just when I was getting a handle on Rosewood Elementary over there, Mm -hmm. and dropped us off in Pacoima. Mm -hmm. And then here I am in a completely different culture shock. But it was a huge influence on my life. And by the way, another big heart, passion, source, energy for uppercut was I wanted to share with everybody these amazing experiences uh, and meet all these people that influenced my life that Mm -hmm. nobody could meet anymore. Right. Unless you met Danny Trejo doing machete at a like a red right. carpet event because he was from Pacoima, right? Uh, but that was the neighborhood. It was right. all Danny Trejos, right? Okay. Right, right. And so uh, from Pacoima, you, I, I'm here. I am this little white fluffy girl in this hardcore black and Mexican neighborhood, wondering how did they get their hair so high and that pachuco hop looked like fun. Everybody was <laughs> like in a line and spinning in circles with crinoline skirts and okay, party. Right. You just I had a I, I was a party waiting to happen. Did they ask you to come to the to the dances? Well no, you were like you were just figuring it out. I'm just figuring it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. You see, you see the, the, you're checking the lay of the land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get yourself a best friend. Oh, and I love my best friend, my beautiful friend, Beverly Foster, who, who I write about, who, um, we would ditch school. She taught me everything, how to mm-hmm. shoplift and mm-hmm. ditch school. All the important stuff. Oh, and how to French inhale. 
right. cigarettes. Right. Now we're entering. Cigarettes are coming yeah. into the life. My really, you know, it was yeah. after the drink, but what a partner. Yeah. And then she taught me how to French inhale, and people would say, doesn't that get you dizzy? I go, yeah, that's my favorite right. part. Right. I mean, it was all about additives. Yeah. I was, I got it. Did she teach you about drugs? Were drugs there then? The drugs weren't really there yet, mm -hmm. but the older kids, so we're like nine. Yeah. And we have boyfriends that are 15. We're just necking and kissing. And right, right. Stuff like that. Meanwhile, I was being beat up and molested by the stepfather. Mm -hmm. So to stay away from home um, and be across the tracks with the gangs was safer than Being for me home, to go yeah. home. And uh, eventually I became like a mascot of one of these gangs um, uh, called the Renegades, of course. And they're all like the low riders and, mm -hmm. you know, and it was a super time. There really was a Von Dutch and they were taking their cars to him and he was pinstriping all the cars and they were being lowered and shaved and French hooded uh, lights in the front of it and candy apple this and, you know, sh uh, lowered Mercs and Chevys right. and Fords, you know, and then we'd go drive down through Pacoima, you know, all kind of, yeah, some were probably higher than me, but then there was another, re you know, while people are remembering whatever they're studying in school or where they're going or stuff, all I know now is like, hmm, slow gin. Right, right. Enter new drink. Right. Southern comfort, enter new drink. Add to the library. Were you telling your mom about what was happening at home? Oh my God, no. Yeah. My Just, mother had abandoned me long yeah. before uh, she really left and I ended up in a foster home. So I remember when she stopped kissing me goodnight and tucking me into bed because she was passed out on the couch with Johnny. Mm -hmm. And Johnny is the one who she married and became the molester. So I was on my own. Clearly I knew I was on my own. My mm -hmm. mother was all about her boyfriends and she had no idea anything more about me. She was just, she was drunk. You could see her glazed eyes and yeah. I never wanted to be like her. And I had no respect for her and mm -hmm. uh, she didn't matter. Yeah. She, she was pathetic. I knew more about this guy that she was married to than she did. And she, I would scream for her help when he'd start to beat me with a hairbrush. And she said, he's your father. I'm like, He's oh not my, my father. I mean, there's a story in here. I won't, I'm not going to tell you for anybody that wants to read it. Yeah. Just for shock value. But he does a terrible, terrible thing to me that I... More terrible than what you've said. More terrible than what I've said. You guys, 2495, if you want to hear the terrible story. Yeah, 2495, or you can download it for like... I don't know, on an ebook for... Did you... Oh, oh, download it. Oh, did you do the audio version? I haven't. You know, they don't want to do audio version because it's 3% of sales. Yeah, it's And it not. does nothing. And I just emailed my agent today and I said, is that mine? Can I do my own production of it? Everybody wants me to do an audio yeah, version. I got the rights back for one of my books to do it because I thought I wanted to do it. Uh -huh. And then I went in a recording booth with a... It's difficult. Oh, my. It takes days and days and days. I did it for one of my really short books. Uh-huh. Um, and that was enough for me. It's, it's a huge... Oh, 
uh, yeah. overtaking. But uh, you should read yours. I should. Yeah. I can play all parts. Oh, Billy. Billy Grimes. He's so fun. <laughs> okay, so. All right, so anyway. Um, meanwhile, so my mother was not. She was just a ghost, a shred of a human being, poor mm. thing, with her alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Not that I knew that at the time. Right. I just, she, she was like a lame dog to me. Yeah. I had nothing, no respect for her. And you didn't connect the drinking. She, she broke my that. heart. Yeah. She uprooted me for this guy out of my roots uh, on Burton Way, took me to this place and never cared. She didn't even bring my doll. She didn't even pack my, my doll that meant so much to me, my Patty doll. I'm like, where's Patty? Oh, she was all this. I left her. So, but you didn't connect what you were doing, the drinking, with her at all. You Not at all. Totally separate. Oh, no, it was an escape from her. Yeah. It was like she had her thing and her beers. I had my beers, which I was just, oh, that's what I was going to say about Beverly, my friend. Beverly. Um, so Beverly and I had these older boyfriends and they would get us beer and we would, so I didn't drink beer at my house. Mm-hmm. I just had snuck, snuck the bourbon. Yeah. But, um, later I certainly drank beer with my mother, uh, later, way right. later. But anyway, um, so, uh, I would drink beer and smoke cigarettes with our boyfriends that were uh, 15. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Because I was being uh, abused and molested, I never want to do anything more than kiss. Yeah. Neck and make out. And I think that saved me in some weird, crazy mm-hmm. way because the other girls were all getting pregnant. Did Beverly get pregnant? Beverly got pregnant, but not uh, not in elementary school. Right. And uh, in junior high, her mother sent her somewhere else. Um, to another school. What I found out, just to fast forward, um, is that at 21 years old, uh, Beverly had become a prostitute to support two little girls Mm. and her heroin addiction because we do gravitate to each other, don't we? Yeah. Even in the youngest one. Yeah. And she picked up a rifle and blew her brains out because she couldn't do it one more day. Oh, my God. Isn't that? 21. What, at what point she did was you done. lose touch at 12 or whatever? Yeah. I never, I always loved her. I never saw her again. I found a new Beverly yeah. at, at Hollywood High, my Rosalind, yeah. who became my best friend uh, at Hollywood High, yeah. who is another one who... You know, there's question whether she killed herself or overdosed right. or whatever. But she was the one that turned me on to diet pills, and you know, and then I, I would maintain mine. She would, went like she went really crazy with diet pills. She would take so many; they were always in the her dexedrines. Dexedrine. Okay, wait. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna do that, R- listeners. You don't need to worry about what we just did. Oh, I just didn't like it moving around. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, so dexedrine, so speed. Yeah, so speed. speed. Well, this is this is okay. Let's scoot up here a little bit. So from Pacoima, uh, Johnny, the stepfather, gets busted. My mother trips out. She's lost in bars, and I don't know where. She's never home. I end up staying at this place that takes in uh, spare lost stray cats and dogs 
kids, mm. kids from the neighborhood. They're not legitimate foster people, but they were like a foster home, and they would take in all the kids. the The husband ran the local junkyard, mm-hmm. and he was always getting stray kids. Mm. And uh, she was just a, a figure that took in stray kids, and uh, that's where I lived for the next three years. And so, from ages when to when? From let's see, uh, about uh, twelve to well, let's see. On my thirteenth birthday, I was definitely living with her uh, until almost sixteen when my mother came back picked me up, came there, found me there, and brought me back to Hollywood High and said, I have a place and we're leaving and you're coming away. And I, there was no fight for me to do. And I was furious that she was taking me. Now I was like locked into Pacoima. Right, right. But there's some little fragment of me knew that, you know, I wasn't getting pregnant like all my friends that were quitting school. And I really didn't want to end up in a dead-end street Yeah. Uh, where a lot of... Uh, you know, you could see all the, all the mess that was going on. I'm sure there was pot going on. There weren't, there weren't like, really didn't hear about guns. There were a lot of knives and street fights and stuff like right. that. And I was going to say, this is uh, another thing that's key to my life for protecting and serving drugs and alcohol, that's for sure. When I was 10 at one of these parties, um, or maybe I was 10, yeah, I was like 10 or 11, and I used to live with these foster people off and on, because my mother would be gone and I would stay with them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I, they'd let me, they were, they were cool, they let me go to these places anyway. So I'd, I'd be, uh, I was at this party and it got busted. Mm-hmm. By the cops came in, uh, noise or whatever that it mm-hmm. was, uh, unruly kids and uh, stuff. And, and when the police came to the back room where I was, I was already out of hand and the kids said, get her in the back room. Like, I was already disturbing the party. Right, right, right. At, at 10, you right. know what I mean? Drunk. Drunk, because yeah. I was drunk. They said, somebody, get, put her away. She yeah. can't have any more, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what? Uh, you know. And so when the cops came in and they said, how old are you? And I said, I'm fine. How are you? Right. They said, wrong answer. You're coming with us. They arrested uh, somebody else outside that was fighting, and then they took me. And then the foster people came and picked me up. But that's when I got the message uh-oh, you better be careful. Yeah, they could being so out of control. They could take, take your... Away. They could take it away from you. Yeah. What could they take away from me? My alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was something that I thought, I am never going to get arrested again. And I wasn't. Never. Uh-uh. And believe me, that takes a lot of cleverness. So I believe alcoholics are not stupid. They're just crazy. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. takes a lot before you decide to get sober, yeah. you know, or want to, or have that glimmer of hope that you could. Well, that's what I'm hoping. You know, we were talking about how the perception about cigarette smoking has yeah. changed. So I think the perception of addiction has changed so oh much my since I've been sober. Since you've been sober. My mother, by the way, died in County General Hospital at 54 years old. That's pretty young when I yeah. look at people that are just 42 today. Yeah. They look like they're yeah, kids. Yeah. Yeah. And my mother was 54. She looked 154. She died in County General Hospital, and they wrote on her death certificate pneumonia. Yeah. And I always say, you know, my mother didn't have the, the fortunate uh, life to see her favorite movie star coming out of their 19th rehab like we get to see. Yeah. 
So the good news is the conversation is up. Well, and the purpose of after party chat and all the stuff that I'm doing is to get the conversation about recovery up. Yeah. To match not just all the, the death about the addiction. Yeah. yeah, just the death. They just show the train wrecks. Nobody shows the the wellness. Yeah. I have 29 years of sobriety. That is ridiculous. I didn't think I could stay sober 29 seconds. Well, so, okay, so then just you graduate from high school. Graduate from high school. I don't know how, because I was doing diet pills, drinking, working at Hollywood Paramount, which is El Capitan now, and, uh, you know, still staying up late, sneaking out the window. I had a boyfriend, 20. Mm-hmm. Ah, loved him. Danny's in the book. You'll love him. And then? And then... Uh, I was going to be an actress, and all my best friends were Barbara Parkins, Stephanie Powers, whose name was Taffy Paul. Barbara Parkins was Barbara Parkins, but everybody at Hollywood. Who Barbara Parkins is? Oh, Peyton Place. Uh, you you Google her. Okay, yeah, but Stephanie Powers, I know. Who okay, she is. so you know Heart to Heart. You know who Stephanie is, but she was also man girl from Uncle, and uh, she was starting to get movies. Let's see, there's there's a famous B model, a B uh, movie star. She she. She prides herself with being a beast movie star. Her name is Carol Wells. And um, there were a lot of, a lot of activities going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linda Evans was ahead of me. She had just left, and she was getting famous with John uh, Derrick that she was involved with. Mm-hmm. Mary Bo Derrick, mm-hmm. you know, after mm-hmm. he upgrades, upgrades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, those guys do. Anyway, and uh, so uh, you just fall into the line. I'd, uh, I thought I always wanted to be an actress. I loved Shakespeare. I used to, like, lose myself, even at Pacoima, in theater. Mm-hmm. I always had, and my grandmother and my mother, they were in Babes in Toyland. There was, uh, I come from a theatrical mm-hmm. background, even mm-hmm. though they ended up in, in art and all that. And uh, my grandmother was in vaudeville, and I, uh, oh, crazy. My grandfather was a magician and a xylophone, you know, so. You know, being the the ham bone. There's a lot of ham bone runs around here. So the idea that I could, I was at Hollywood High, and to say I'm going to be an actress was automatic. But then, how was I going to support myself? Yeah, you know, I had no idea what I was going to do or go to college. I always make a joke about. You know, when everybody said, what college are you going to go into? I'm like, well, I'll go wherever you go. Where are you going? And they're like, well, what'd you get on your GPA? Well, I don't think I took GPA. What is GPA? <laughs> I mean, I, I never heard the word academic. Right. I was an art and drama major. Right. That was Education it. Education was not a priority. I was across the street of the pancake house melting diet pills with those big coffee pots. So what are you kidding? I don't know what you're talking about. I left algebra because they wouldn't tell me what the X and the Y was. You know, it's like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Do I need to take typing? That looks so confusing. And nobody even was talking about dyslexic or ADD, which is definitely in my chemical DNA. Yeah. So um, somebody came through, Billy Grimes, who I just can't wait for everybody to meet in Uppercut. Uh, He's just such an instrumental character in my life. It's bizarre that one person can introduce you to a career, your best friend, um... I mean a career that saves your life. I don't just mean like, here's this tapestry, let's do that. No, like a huge thing that changes your life and takes you all over the world and introduces you to everybody. Okay, so what happened? So what did he do? So he asked me to model for him. He was going to beauty school because he had met this guy, uh, Richard Alcala, who uh, Robert Town had wrote shampoo in his... 
Spoiler alert, this is the man you married. Ten years later, okay, I marry this it. guy. Okay. So Billy introduces me to the love of my life, yeah. uh, hairdressing, and my best friend, Aloma. Aloma, who not only is my best friend I name uh, a child after, she is the person that saves my life by taking me to a 12-step program and getting me into the recovery house, the friendly house. Well, and she's the most awesome lady around. Right, and she's I mean, the, the most awesome yeah. lady. And she was a supermodel you yeah. know, before that was a con- that was a title yeah. for Gustasell and uh, and James Galanos and you know, she's a fantastic she's a photographer now. But anyway, the uh, Aloma and I are the only people that are alive that are in my book left because of recovery, because right. we got sober. You right. know, everybody else is dead that I talk about. Yeah. Including getting high with Jimi Hendrix at John Lennon's house. Okay, wait, 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 you're skipping ahead. So, okay. so you model and you meet the, all these key people. I, I go into the beauty school and I go like, oh my God, what's going in here? Yeah. I am an art major. This is a perfect way that I can support myself yeah. as an actress. I could even book out for auditions. Oh, this will be perfect. Yeah. Then I put myself through beauty school working at Bob's Big Boy. Oh, in the valley. In the valley. Back Slain to the valley. Burgers. Back to I'm staying with the foster parents. Okay. So I have a place to stay, and that doesn't cost me. I'm going to beauty school and working a shift at night. Wow. Uh, well, yeah. I have my diet pills. Yes, you don't need food. <laughs> I have my secret weapon. You don't need food. I eat a little food, but you know, until I and then it spins out. And then there's that whole other big story that when there's a day off, I go party with the party people because we find each other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Party girl. Yeah. And so uh, one of the guys that I'm having the most fun with, who's really a terrific hairdresser, we're kind of like a little team, uh, he asked me to marry him. Yeah. I say, sure, why not? I'm he, exhausted. Yeah. I'm having a midlife crisis. I'm 17. You <laughs> like, married him at 17? Yeah, I was 17. I was, I was 17. Yeah, I was 17. I wasn't 18 yet when I graduated. He was a top-notch uh, hairdresser already. No, 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 no. Oh, this he, is the kid in beauty school. I'm in beauty school. Okay. Don't forget, I had three husbands. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do forget. Yeah. This And this guy happens to be... Oh, then I, I run into another girl I went to uh, junior, Pacoima Junior High with. She marries the... The beauty school teacher, the uh-huh. instructor, yeah. and she follows me around and wants me to participate. They're starting a little business called yeah. Sebastian. Uh-huh. I say, oh, I'm too, I'm too busy. You want some champagne? Right. Yeah. Could have been, okay. She's still my pal. Yeah. Sebastian, Jerry Casenza. Wow. And John Casenza. Yeah, we're still really good friends. Anyway, so Jordan, Jordan ends up... Um, I, I move in with him. He's living at his parents' house. We have our own little cottage in the back. Mm-hmm. And I just think he's like my friend and stuff that I happen to sleep with. And, okay, I'm going to get married. It's right. nice. They got a swimming pool. I'm yeah. exhausted. So it wasn't true love. It wasn't true love, but it, it, was, it, was, it was fun. Bad. Okay. I, I, see, in, in my book, I explain uh, what happens with Danny and I, and I'm done. I think I'm never going to be in love again yeah. after Danny breaks my heart in yeah. high school. That's, that's it. My heart, I'm done. Yeah. So, who cares? Yeah, Jordan? Yeah. Hey, you're a good hairdresser. Yeah, let's get married. And a pool. And then, and you go to a swimming pool in Reseda. Oh, well, that's lovely. Uh, I don't really like the valley, but okay. Yeah. What the hell? And then, um, he uh, doesn't come home one night. We're married about three months. He calls me. He's at this uh, hotel on Hollywood Boulevard. Could I come pick him up? Really? You finally decided to call me? Okay, great. Where are you? Well, and I'm not with a girl. I'm with a guy. I'm like, oh, that's nice. I'll pick you up, but I don't really want to work with this. 
Yeah. And so, okay, he's gay. Yeah. Give me back my eyelash curler. <laughs> <laughs> this is over. We annul our marriage, uh -huh. and then I find out I'm pregnant because he's not all that gay for five minutes. Right, right, right. You're so hot that even though he's gay, apparently. Yeah. Now, I don't know I'm pregnant. We get this annulled. In the meantime, from my annulment, I do... One of my customers at beauty school keeps asking me to pose for her husband. He's a Playboy photographer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I pose for him. I get picked. Yeah. I'm Miss July. I'm going to be Miss July. Well, I, I didn't know I was pregnant. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know you were pregnant. I no. just saw that photo. Yeah, but my body didn't know I was yeah, pregnant. Yeah, yeah. I was like... It was like the wasn't. I don't think the baby was the size of a kernel of corn. So and you were so you were they were so that was just all that happened. I he doesn't come home. Uh, he's with a guy. I say okay, let's have this annulled. I'm gonna need to, a job. So then I go back to that lady that keeps asking me to model, and I yeah. say, how much does that pay? Okay, yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. And then after that, I get it. And then a month later, I find out, oh, I'm having a baby. Right. Uh, whoa. Uh, so, no, it's not like I'm pregnant in Playboy. I mean. No, I know. I just thought you, yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess I was, but it's. Technically. But technically, yeah. but yeah. not really. Yeah. And um, so I have a moment of clarity, and I know I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Clearly. Mm -hmm. Now I'm. Am I 18? I'm 18. Mm -hmm. I know I'm an alcoholic. I'm pregnant. I give this child for adoption because I want her to have a better chance than I did. I know I'm an alcoholic. I'm going to have a child. I'm recreating the scene of the crime. I'm going to be the divorced woman with the only child, mm -hmm. like my mother. And I thought, this is no start for anybody. It wasn't great for me. It's not, why would it be great? I don't know where I'm going. I know, what, I know what's my primary purpose. And that's to drink and mm -hmm. do, you know, do diet pills, I guess. Mm -hmm. I was still, whatever mm -hmm. that was. So that's a, that's a closed case. Done. Now, the guy that's nice to me the last month of my pregnancy, he's like, well, are you going to say thank you and marry me or not? And I go like, oh, I'm totally intimidated. He's very, like, controlling. Mm -hmm. I'm fear-based. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I feel like I... I'm supposed to. So you say yes. I say, uh, yeah. Now, can we have a drink? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. Will there be champagne? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Meanwhile, we get married at the little brown church, and the ring doesn't even fit on my finger. That should have been the first clue. Yeah, that like, is a never, sign. Aren't yeah. you supposed to know these things ahead of time? Oh, I had no idea. I mean, he just had me by the nape of my neck. We're getting married. I had tried to leave him before we got married. And, of course, I didn't have the guts to move until I had two children from him. Two children. So here I am now. I'm like 22. I've had three children and second husband and divorce. Hmm. I uh, then uh, kind of run around wildly in this town. Mm -hmm. uh, prior to that, I've been hanging on Jim Morrison's ankle at the Whiskey A Go-Go with a black Russian in my hand. What does that mean, hanging on Jim Morrison's ankle? Because so, like, the, the doors came around. Literally holding on to his ankle on stage. Just because... 
because his foot was there and I was there dancing and he was cute and I'd yeah. hold on to him probably for balance so I wouldn't fall down right. I was drunk right. and I have a black rush everybody was drunk everybody yeah. was on tilt it was like da 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 everything was on tilt yeah meanwhile my uh, I had gotten a beauty salon when I was married to um, my second husband mm -hmm. and I was doing quite well I was getting write-ups in Glamour magazine Mademoiselle they were doing stories I was so popular by the time I was 21 Wow. I was called. I got a telegram to do to tell the truth. Will the real Carrie White please stand oh up? Oh my God! Yeah, I remember that. Selma, I, me too. As a kid, can you imagine? Did you do it? Yes. Nobody guessed me. <laughs> I did. I do it. That and that's when and the, and then nobody can believe this when I tell like kids coming in. So. When I'm doing hair, I've got all these fancy ladies that, yeah. that's a whole big story how that unfolds with yeah. the hair. We don't need that. Um, but as that unfolds, I'm doing all these fancy ladies and uh, try to wrap around. There's no internet. Yeah. There's no. I remember that. We, we don't know any global. Global wasn't even a, con, a word yeah. in uh, our. Anyway. And, and so I'd be pulling on Mrs. Bloomingdale's shirt and say, What's it like in Paris? Because they're all like, oh, I'm going to Paris. Oh, I'm going to New York. Oh, I'm going to Afghanistan. I had never been anywhere. I was felt lucky to get back to the other side of the valley. Right. Let alone, what are the windows like in Chanel? I mean, we just, I didn't right. even know Chanel wasn't just a perfume number five. You right. know what I mean? Right. As opposed to kids today, they got like Gucci bags. They're yeah. nine. Yeah. Uh, everybody knows everything. Yeah. We're, we're, we're bombarded with labels. Yeah. So, um... Then she hears I'm going to New York for to tell the truth, mm -hmm. and she gives she gets me hooked up. I have my first credit card, my Diners Club, because her husband started Diners Club. Betsy Bloomingdale. Yeah, gave Alfred Bloomingdale. Oh, that's they so give nice. me a Diners Club. Did now, they pay the bill? Well, that's what I I thought it was all free. I didn't know how it worked. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm divorced. I'm going to do to tell the truth. I take this cute Italian race car driver that I have the biggest crush on. I tell him like, We're I'm going. Can, are you busy this weekend? I got a place on uh, the Americas yeah. Avenue, and I don't even you know. I had done a little bit of traveling. I had, I think I had already been to. Uh, London and Paris and India through hairdressing. I've been taken all over the world already by a lot of people, but um, New York was pretty revolutionary uh, to go on a television show. Yeah. So he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he comes with me, we party, and then he comes into my room one night while we're there, and he says, I have this special thing for you, a little brown bottle. And he tells me, I go, $50 and you put it up your what? And it was cocaine. It was my first experience with cocaine. So he goes in the, takes a shower and he's going to come back out. We're going to like drink and do coke, I guess. Yeah. But while he was in the shower, I he snorted it off. The whole little bottle was yeah, so tiny. Tiny. I had no idea. Well, he was furious. I thought, God, what's he so upset about? Go get some more. Right. And, uh, <gasps> But you felt pretty good. I felt very good. And uh, then later I got like uh, why he was so excited. Yeah. When you run out, you really oh, yeah. you, you, you learn to understand you cannot run out. No. Oh, dear God. No. We call it carpet farming, don't we? <laughs> you mean when you're, when you're digging? the cat hair. And and you're, and yeah, when like you're digging ashes. for a Oh, jeez. The 
oh, so gross. The life is so grimy. Anyway, um, so while that we work that all out, and he says he's looking at the paper one day, and we're in New York, and um, he says, "Look at this. This looks like fun. You still have that card?" I'm like, "Of course." He says, "Why don't we go to Puerto Rico?" I'm like, oh, "I don't know. <laughs> Just sign this thing. It's magic." <laughs> So we go to we go to Puerto Rico. Uh-huh. We go to San Juan. I get arrested for indecent exposure. You were naked. Well, I wasn't Juan? naked, but it seems I was in a bathing suit in the wrong area of town or something. <laughs> They're very Catholic or conservative or I don't know what. Okay, but, so getting arrested in so, San Juan's no yeah, joke. He had to bail me out of jail. Yeah, and in a paddy wagon and all that. And he comes and gets me. Did he's he like, bail you out with the Anderson? Again, he's like, "Do you have that card?" <laughs> Where's that card? So we get that card. So I get back, and sure enough, uh, Betsy Bloomingdale wants her. She wants your card back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was my first credit card experience. But um, anyway, so well, anyway, so now I'm introduced to cocaine. Yeah. To my uh, menu, uh, and it kind of gets dropped. I go back to, you know, I don't know, I like it. But then now it's a lot of disco dancing and a lot of poppers. Oh, oh my God, the most fun ever. Really? Then you're in love with everybody. But for like five seconds. It's enough. Yeah, Long enough. Okay. Yeah. My only association is like gay men, like, use them during sex. Yeah. I didn't, I, yeah, miss those. Oh, you miss them. Toilets they were so popular, those poppers. Uh, 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 what, what, what's the other name for them? What are they called? You're asking someone who Oh, who didn't really do yet. them. I forget. Poppers, but there's... Oh, geez. I think it starts with an A. I have to look that up. Uh, anyway, um, so these things, they're very popular, and, and these little gauzy yellow... I had two friends that were that were... Uh, they put, they bought a whole box of them. They put them in a closet, and then they closed the closet door with all the uh, poppers on the floor, and they jumped on them <laughs> in the closet. So they would be in a very small condensed area with the flooding of this. Oh my god! With this fuse. Oh, because it was all air. It all. It, yeah, popped it they popped it, it in his air. Yeah. It wasn't liquid. Amyl nitrate. Am- yes. Thank yes. you. That's what it was. Okay. Okay. And then I used to like pass out with them. I'd wake up and I'd have one of those yellow gauze things coming. <laughs> <laughs> I might know. Thousands of them in the bed. And right. Who was I with? I don't know. Somebody from the Whiskey and Go-Go. I would think he was the lead singer of, uh, what was that girl? Oh, yeah. Steppenwolf. Um, I mean, and that's true. Right. I don't doubt it. Nicholas, I don't doubt it. Nick Nicholas. I had to go to uh, Tower Records to look it up and see what what his name was because I never remember that weekend. Um, anyway, oh gosh. And, and, so, and so that this is the era when you were on the roller skates? Uh, getting close, getting close. So you have a salon and all these celebrities are coming to you. And this Celebrities is packed in because there weren't that many fancy hairdressers, uh, salons, talented uh, hairdressing. Yeah. You know, Jose, Jose Bear wasn't here yet. And so this was like, is this when you did Elvis's hair? Uh, that was a little later on. That's when I married, after I married Richard. So I you did married Richard. I married Mr. Shampoo. By the way, if you look at the movie, you will see everybody that worked for Richard are the names, the actual names. 
used in the film shampoo. Okay. Uh, Warren uh, calls Mary the maid, and Molly is the receptionist, and everybody wants to claim that Miss their shampoo yeah. was after them. It's such a fallacy. It right. was it was a combination of my husband Richard Alcala yeah. and uh, Jean Chacob. Yeah. Jean Chacob, who he and I were technical advisors on that film, um, doing the hair. All those people were my clients. Lee Grant was my client. Uh, Goldie Hawn was my client. Julie Christie was my client. I cut Warren Beatty's hair for 10 years. And um, even Robert Town was my client. Did you have sex with Warren Beatty? Doesn't every woman have to have sex with Warren Beatty? You know, it's kind of my claim to fame. I did not. It's impressive. Uh, it's impressive, isn't it? Oh, but remember... I was married to one of his good friends, Richard Alcala. You know okay, I mean? wait. Can I, I don't know. I just remembered this, so I hope it's okay to bring it up. Didn't you date Jack Nicholson as like, I a did. teenager? He was my second boyfriend. That's so crazy. It's cute. He lived with two other guys on Fountain Avenue. Yes. And uh, Jack, my mother said, what a... What are you doing with him? Isn't he an older guy? I said, yeah, but mom, he sounds just like Henry Fonda. <laughs> Jackie with that big smile, yeah. Uh, he does remember me. We're still friends. He, I, The last I saw him was at a very big party he gave for Bucket List. And he's a very loyal, beautiful guy. I, I love Jack. Jack. So, okay, so. I always tell Jennifer Nicholson, I could have been your mother. <laughs> anyway, she laughs. She likes that. We're friends. So then, uh-huh. okay, Mary Richard. Mary Richard, have two kids, think he'll never complain about my drugs and alcohol because he smokes so much pot, he drinks so much alcohol, he's such a cool guy. Uh, cocaine is back into the picture, and there's no limits. Yeah. There's no red lights. Everything's cool. Everything's groovy. Do whatever you want. Come to bed when you want. Do whatever you want. But eventually, uh, it got in the way. And the bigger my career got, the bigger my disease got. And um, I like to never forget that when I was called to do a second television special for uh, Peggy Fleming, an ice skating gold medalist, that uh, Bob Banner asked me that there was a very big privilege for all of us to get to go to Russia and... And while he was talking, my first thought was, all that vodka and no cocaine, I will expose my alcoholism. I cannot go. So when he finished talking, I said, oh, geez, Bob, those dates don't work for me. I can't go. And I lost the the incredible experience of going to Russia in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. So it progressed. And then what happened? Well... Richard and I started fighting. We were in this, you know, we worked together. We both came together and put a salon together on Burton Way, back on Burton Way. Yeah. And, uh, yes, I was having a ball, you know, for such, so many years with my spandex pants and roller skates doing hair, flipping through the salon. And I, I was just his, he was 10 years older than me, so he'd always introduce me as his lovely bride, his beautiful young bride. And I just had, I was like in, in charge, but I wasn't in charge. My alcoholism was in charge. Right. I call my disease Audrey, like that flower in the shop of horrors. Right, right, you know? right, right. And Audrey was on a mission, feed me more bodies, you yeah. know, and there just was never enough for her, never enough cocaine. Richard was starting to look pathetic. He wasn't making enough money to support my habit. I was supporting every. Everything, the house on the hill, the you know, the kids, the whatever that was going on, and and I just started getting as annoyed with him, and he started looking as 
as uh, pathetic as my mother did. My disease was getting so big and nasty and rude, and and it was hateful, and and I had to break away from him. He was just really cramping my style. Right. So horrible. And right. my kids were such collateral damage of this this marriage that uh, had gone awry through drugs and alcohol because he was really such a great guy and... You know, and I loved him so much, and he loved me so much. You know, nobody loved me like Richard loved me. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Things started get interfering. I mean, he was getting, he wasn't coming up to his end, truly. He couldn't work as much as he was, not being a ladies' man, being the Romeo on the things. I was right. starting to get jealous. I caught him with his hand down somebody's right. smock one day, and, right. and that I was just waiting to catch him so I could say, that does it, and justify my uh, getting out of there. I was looking for it. Right. I was glad that he he did that, though I made it like such an injustice and a horrible thing, and I took my two little kids from him. Uh, and my other two went to Bucky that I had always fought against him having taking those kids. He always wanted to take those kids from me, and um, and uh, I um, was just running around and I was getting broker and broker. I couldn't. I was almost going to lose the salon and my house on the hill on Mulholland. Finally, we uh, we separated. We sold that house. I met somebody who um, wrote on a mirror, I love you, in, in cocaine. And I went, oh, I guess I love you, too. It just yeah. happened that it was a woman. Oh, I forgot about this part. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, and, and then she introduced me to heroin. And so it was like, oh, let's see. Uh, I haven't tried those two things. Right. And that's what it was about for me. It was like, okay, you know, like I'm... On some big adventure, I right. was on a downhill racer, is what I was on, and um, so I left my salon one time. She used to send her assistant in with envelopes of cash for me to to leave. To just bribe you to leave. To bribe me to leave, ten thousand dollars cash in an envelope. One day, her assistant came by with a note that says, "Do you really have to work today?" Oh my god! I mean, that's like. I don't think I was making that a year. What I don't even she, know. She was like independently wealthy. Independently wealthy. Yeah. And uh, so finally one day. You were like, no, I don't I was to work. so exhausted and out of ideas. Yeah. And more worried not for my, losing my house or losing the salon, but keeping the, the liquor store credit yeah. open. Here's somebody that just wanted me to sit home and do heroin. Drink. Drink crystal champagne, right? And whatever I wanted. Well, she was doing heroin. I wasn't doing heroin, and buy me all the coke I wanted. Are you kidding? Right. I've been working since I'm nine years old. I was exhausted. I've been having, like I say, midlife crisis since I was like seventeen. Right. So I thought, oh God, lucky me. I never, never wanted to give up the House of Carrie. You know, my salon was one place. I could always get a dollar. I always had respect. I mean, customers were leaving me left and right. They couldn't watch the destruction. I'd be up for days. I'd come in with hats and sunglasses and right. didn't brush my hair. You know, just reeking of cigarettes, Sherman's, Goloise, Jeton, a right. stinky, stinky poo-poo, you know. And then... And then uh, everything that I thought I ever wanted, all the money and all the drugs, ran out. 
even with that, we went through a million dollars the first year. That ran out. That money ran out. That source of her money ran out. It could not feed the disease as it grows, as it uh, progresses, neither hers nor mine. And um, we started going to hospitals uh, at the recommendation of her family, who was paying for me included. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd have friends watch my kids, and I couldn't stay longer than two days. I would bail out, and she would bail out, and she'd say, are you coming? Well, of course I'm coming. I'm going wherever I need to support my disease. I want to pull my spine out of my back with my bare hands. I mean, we ended up drooling on ourselves at the Venice Methadone Clinic just to get something before we could drive to the dealer. Wow. Uh, uh, You know, there was no such thing as uh, uh, enough to, wasn't even getting high. It was just so I wouldn't be sick, so I didn't want to die. You know, and it was terrible. I mean, there's there's some funny, crazy things, you know, that I write about, like filling my house with... We, we bought a house together in Malibu, uh, which I ended up taking over, and she left. And uh, What happened to her? And she went back with her family and um, lived with her family, took care of her, and I don't know where she is or what happened, but it's all right. Um, bless, bless, peace, peace. And, you know, I don't write about her because... It, if that's her privilege and her right and her story and not for me to talk about her. I don't talk about anybody, really. When people say, is this a tell-all book? I say, oh, yeah, well, I tell it on myself. Yeah. You know, yeah. not uh, anybody else. So and, what was it that got you sober? Well, eventually going through those hospitals and trying to get free, I'd have a glimpse of some kind of sanity of how crazy we were living. You know, and then the pain of uh, of seeing my children's eyes and their disappointment and tragedy that was going on in this house and the hatred that she didn't like them and she wanted them to be quiet and she wasn't feeling well all the time and I was scared for my kids, I was scared from her and, and, and sick on my own and how was I going to survive? You know, they say you put the oxygen on yourself first and then your kids. I mean, I knew I had to, I had to survive so I'd go to the dealer first before I could think in my day every day and end up in a fetal position on the dealer's doorsteps waiting for them to answer the door just to get a gravel of who knows what to smoke the heroin. I, I'm lucky I never stuck needles in my arms, me particularly, because I I know that I would have overdosed for sure because mm. it wouldn't have been enough, uh, you know. And so what, so what did it? So uh, finally... Finally, after on, at, at the sixth hospital, two things occurred. One, I, I we were separated. Mm-hmm. Finally, mm-hmm. it's real hard to two people. You know, your disease, your disease is connected to another person. Yeah. It's a, tr- it's beyond a trigger. And you can also always that there's that. You can also yeah. say like, oh, they're so much worse than me. I don't even really have a problem. Well, I don't know about that part. I, I don't know. I, did, I didn't think who's worse or who's not, but I always thought I couldn't survive if she was getting high. I wanted to get high too, you know, and I knew that my getting sober wasn't making her want to get sober. But finally, I saw that my freedom depended on my sobriety to get away from her to get away from the drugs. Mm-hmm. If I didn't get away from her, I would never get away from the drugs. So yeah. I knew I had... So when they decided, it wasn't even my idea, when they decided to uh, separate us, I thought, maybe I have a chance. Mm-hmm. Maybe I have a chance to live. I knew I was going to die. 
So this was kind of, there weren't rehabs, it was just hospitals? It was just hospitals, yeah. and which don't even exist anymore. Uh, one is Century City Hospital twice, Beverly Glen Hospital, I don't think and that Thalians, exists anymore. That like... I didn't go to Thalians, I went to, I went to uh, Beverly Glen a couple times, mm -hmm. I went to Century City a couple of times. And you would stay? So the, at one point a short period, okay. four days, and okay. then they, then the, the whatever start getting real, and yeah. then I get sick, and you know I smuggled smack into the hospital once, and the nurse caught me, and I told her I was going to call the police if she didn't give me back my property. Oh my God, that <laughs> she said, "Why don't you call the police and tell them I have your hair on?" You know, no, that did not work. So. And uh, then then you go like, "Oh, that sounds crazy when you hear her say it." Yeah, and I'm like, "Okay, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, right. sorry." Uh, you know, and I was just, I was on her money, you know, still, or her family was paying for these hospitals. So the other thing that worked, we got separated, and I paid, I borrowed money uh, from actually, uh, I borrowed money from uh, my second husband mm -hmm. to watch my kids for 30 days, and I would pay him back, and... Uh, that which I did, and that hospital was the one that worked, the one I paid for. Interesting. And that I was separated from my partner in right. in drugs and alcohol was was the only thing. And I slowly started hearing and being touched by, uh, you know, people that were in the twelve step program that were sober, that were texts, that were not doctors and not mm -hmm. people telling of authority telling me. Uh, you know, what you're doing isn't a good idea, but somebody that did it like I did, like the girl that helped me, uh, Bridget, who I write about, who, you know, uh, said, oh, you're complaining? Try kicking in jail. And I thought, oh, 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 that doesn't sound good. Mm -mm. A, a metal cot and a sheet. Mm -mm. You know, I'm in fancy Coldwater Canyon Hospital. It's not as fancy as these uh, promises and you know. I know. They make, you, and, they make you wish you were on drugs practically. So oh, I mean, I've spoken at some of those places. They got the frette sheets and yeah. the strawberries bigger than your head for break period, you know, have strawberry. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, oh so, my gosh, it, it's so exhausting just talking. I know, I know. So uh, that was twenty nine years ago. Twenty nine years ago. So I'm waiting for a ride. I used in between that ride to take me to a recovery house. I never heard of a recovery house. I had to go into sober living. It was supposed to be ooh, such a privilege, and oh, it's so exhausting. My agent told me my story is the worst substance abuse story she has ever come across. And she was Hunter S. Thompson's agent. Wow. <laughs> said, oh, thank you. You mean I drank more than Hunter okay, S. Thompson? I guess, I guess no, that's what... No, that is yeah. a fact. No, it's definitely... It is so grueling, uh, the bottom. And my next book, you know, and I didn't even talk about the last 29 years. I know. I which know. will isn't be book two. Isn't that always what? Oh, in the book, you you don't you do. Talk. I talk about going through the recovery house, uh, the adventures in sobriety. Just you know, getting that little embryo stage and yeah. the prenatal and the birth into sobriety. Yeah. And then I pretty much cut to today, and here I am as we sit in my in salon, salon with my name back on the door, respected with. You know, have had everybody, a list clients. Yeah. clients, everybody coming back who's been in this place from, you know, I don't know, 
Patrick, Jason Patrick to uh, Sandra Bullock, Bullock and, and Amber Valletta and, uh, you know, I mean, superstars and Laurie Rodkin and, uh, you know, just, uh, I don't even know. I can't even. But um, that will be book two. will be uh, about writing a book. Yeah. Uh, that deal. And because that's what I've done my whole sobriety was the process of writing the book and not writing the book. You know, I'd be dancing in San Tropez and people say, oh, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm writing a book. I'm like, no, you're not. You're dancing in San Tropez. <laughs> but your life has been so fabulous. <laughs> Ever since I've known you, you were, you were going to San Tropez to go to like... And Australia. Oh, like Naomi birthday, birthday party or something. Yeah. And then recently when we were just talking about this fabulous party that we just had. Yeah. We are, I was on Facebook and you're like, oh, I'm just coming back from the U.S. Open. Really? Oh, yeah. U.S. Open. Yeah, yeah, Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. I could have pulled uh, uh, Raphael. Rafi. Rafi. <laughs> Rafael yeah. Nadal's uh, t-shirt. Um, yeah, it's been a, a charmed, lucky life. I'm kind of like, uh, you know, Mrs. Magoo. I walk, I walk off a building and there's a plank underneath me that takes me and then I walk, I make a left and then there's a, somebody scoops me up here. And I, but it was, I, but, but you know, it's been magical. The thing is, I, I don't know that you know what a crucial part of my coming to love recovery you played. Aww. Because it was like, you know, I was brand new. I was like the embryo with like the eyes barely blinking open, you know, and you sort of, I felt very like scooped under your wing and you know, you had me, you had me speak at a meeting that was like really big and you like did my hair for it. Yes. And then, you know, I had Aloma coming up and telling me, you know, I was like adorable, you know, and I'm just like, and it, and it was such it that, you know, I'm sure I would have stayed sober and who knows, but it who was knows? to, to feel so enveloped by someone who is so involved and so in the middle and so joyful. And I'm still like I'm that. still involved. I know. I'm still joyful because I'm still sober. Yeah. And I'm still sober because I'm still involved. Yeah. It's it's that's how it is. Well, you see, at the bottom line of my sobriety, I was such a wreck when I got here, just a threat of a human being. And finally when I started thawing out a little bit and I could blink and all these people and everything and there was so much love wrapped around me, that's why we give back. That's that's yeah. how we say thank you is we wrap around the other people. But somewhere, I, you know, early on, I got like, well, I didn't come here to have a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like been the theme of my life, though it went bad. But AA, I, 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 I saw you can have fun for real. You can love for real. You can be here for real. You can make decisions for real. You can have as you can be as loud and laugh for real, and not yeah. have to cover up because you don't want to get busted. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you yeah. can be silly for real, and you can go on trips, and you can really feel, and you know everything that I thought like one wouldn't want in life. I it's not that I'm afraid of my feelings. I, I was just afraid of my bad feelings. I don't mind my good feelings. Right. And the the amazing discovery in recovery is that the bad feelings, once you actually don't do everything to avoid them, but just feel them, they're not that bad. Not they're only are they not that bad, I don't know about you, but I had no idea that everything had a beginning, middle, and an end. Yeah, no. I thought it was like one long day, you know? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I thought if you were depressed, you should stay depressed for like a year. Ever. A year or two. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I know. So uh, it was like I, I learned so much, and I, I'd hear people say things that, that were paradigm shifts to a to a just a, a new vault of, of light. And it was one time this guy said, you can have your excuses or you can have a life. 
Mm. And I thought, huh? what? I have the best excuses in the world. Right. What? Oh, I'm missing right. life. You're right. That was my excuses why I missed the party. My excuses why I missed work. It's my excuses why I wasn't there for my kids. It's my excuses right. why, why you were doing drugs. Why I missed a life. Yeah. Well, you said one of those paradigm shifting things once in a meeting that I still remember. Oh, we, oh you've said a couple of things. One I quote you on all the time, which is, um, all, this is not really recovery, although it sort of is. It's all relationships are successful. Some are just shorter than others. Exactly. <laughs> Even the, you know, one night fling. Okay. Successful. Yes. Um, but but one thing <laughs> one thing you said once in a meeting, it was oh god, I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna butcher it. And it, to you, I think it was just an off the cuff thing. So I don't even think it's one of your great lines. It's um, something about how you know there. It, it, it's like about weather and wearing oh, the yeah. right thing. Oh, yeah, what yeah. Is it? There, is it? There's no bad weather. There's just inappropriate dress. Yes. 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 Which is like, you know, there are no big deals. But and very take, take responsibility yeah. for your complaining. Yeah. Oh, it's so cold. Well, dress warmer. Yeah. Oh, it's so hot. Well, what do you got a sweater on for? Yeah. You know, yeah. Take, take responsibility. Weather's going to happen. Life's going to happen. Yeah. We certainly prepared uh, for our disease. Yeah. And clearly, we lived one day at a time, no matter what, willing to go to any length. Yeah. We weren't late. We took directions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before we got sober. Yeah. Those were our rules. Yeah. We just have to change our priorities. Exactly. Well, this was awesome. Awesome. I mean, in let's do way. it again for a week. <laughs> let's have this, a this let's was, have an Anna David Carrie White retreat. This was the preview to the Carrie White interview. Oh, <laughs> I love you so much. I love you too, oh, honey. You you were a part of Uppercut, you know. I oh yes, and how about, I used to trade you hair to just you, read it. You I were my writer friend. Yes, and I I remember doing that. And at your, your book house. came out way before mine, and I never. One of the things I've learned is to never be. To, to deal, that jealousy is the most terrible, yeah. terrible emotion. It tells us that in our book, in our program. But it's hard. It tells us, no, it isn't hard. It's been hard for me. Well, let me tell you a shift for it. Just celebrate that other person yeah. and know you're in line because you know them. Yeah. That's how I felt about you. I yeah. said, God, Anna's writing a book. Oh, Anna's book is out already. And right. I'm still working on mine. But I knew I was in line. I was yeah. still in line. And it's a contrary feeling instead of being what what are you resentful for somebody did something celebrate them instead well and it is that 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 i came from such a point of view of there's a limited there's this very small pie with very limited pieces rather than the actual way the world works which is there's the pie is huge and it's huger than ever and with the internet yeah you know what my sponsor uh, my sponsor my agent told me, she said, well, Carrie, she said, you know, there are more writers than readers these days. I know. I know. Everybody's a bloggist. I know. Everybody's I know. writing a book. But specifically, but rem I remember what, so when I was, I want to say like maybe three years smober. Uh huh. <laughs> And one of the other many people you got to quit smoking said, we're going to get Carrie White a brand new computer oh, so she yeah. can finish her book. Yeah. That was so, and now he lives in Bali. He does because he quit smoking. 
He's doing what he always wanted yeah, to do all day amazing. long. He's surfing. Yeah. He saved all his money for and all the money he didn't spend on smoking. Yeah. Put it that in the bank and he saved all his money working and didn't yeah. care about anything. And I think the last time I talked to him he paid his rent for 7 years. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh my god. Which is probably 50 cents over there. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't yeah, know what palace, it is, but yeah. no. Yeah, you get to make decisions. You're not peeking at your life through a smoke screen. Yeah. How valuable could that be? Yeah. And then it's like, whose life is it? But, we got a long time to be dead. What's the rush? So, but, but talking about all this, it makes me nostalgic for my early sobriety. Isn't I it was, lovely? Because I was so fresh and new, and I just loved it so much. It got, kind of got harder later. It yeah, was like real easy for me in does. the beginning. All you um, need to do, though, is dive right in back into the deep end again. Yeah, no, and I'm into it, but it's like those days with the Chris and Sarah and yeah, Peter, yeah, yeah. and it was all just so You get a whole new. bunch of new babies, though. Yeah. I, I, I got, you know, a secretary at this big meeting over here, and I didn't want to do it, and... You know, I, I'm a firm believer that my that my program or my sobriety is based on this. You never know the point of the exercise. Yeah. And you don't. And so I didn't want to be secretary. I'm like, oh, I don't want to commit to every Sunday going there and yeah. doing and getting speakers and blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Well, I got six new sponsees. Yeah. And, uh, you know, three of them showed up at Book Soup the other night. It was so darling. And they just couldn't love me anymore. Yeah. And it's the kind of love you just, you can't get from a family member or anybody in the yeah. whole world is kind of enthusiasm and they grow up and they change and then they get their sponsors and do but yeah. if you keep resurging that that the new blood, blood get yeah I get my energy and my enthusiasm yeah. from those new ones and you will too yeah when when you get there you know what I mean yeah. it's like it's no, a part of all the scene. And I do love my sponsees. It's not that it's not that I You don't. also get to see you don't want what they got. You, you know, don't want to be new again. You know, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> oh. But but yeah, it's um, it's an amazing life, and you know, I think we're so lucky in LA too, where yeah, it's such a happy it's place a, to be sober. It's a happy place to be sober. There's so many people enthusiastic about it. And uh, you really uh, get posse's here. Yeah. Whereas I think other places, it's well, I don't know. I don't know. I've lived in other places. It's depressed. You know, whatever. I, it's you know. pretty like. Yeah, it's just sort of like. Well, let's face it. We all suffer from so much personality here. Yeah, it's an overabundance <laughs> of personality yeah. in Los Angeles. Uh, and I wanted to say about your thing about uh, feeling that there's not an abundance or that it's going to run out. But that took time. Yes, it does take time. But again, we are all designed in our own unique way. To be a voice of service. Yeah. And I got my success when I could best serve, yeah. I believe, yeah. as opposed to another time. Yeah. As opposed to maybe I wouldn't have gotten my great agent and yeah. I wouldn't have this or I would have been that or I was, somebody would have met. You know, yeah. I, I just believe that uh, there's a higher power in this universe that support. If I maybe had 
another hundred dollars, I wouldn't be sitting here with you. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. You know? I mean, of course you would. Of course. That reminds me of another thing that I remember Aww. you saying in a meeting. <laughs> what? It's the exact same thing. I remember because this really hit me. I was new and, and you talked about how when you're in traffic, you don't get upset because you think, well, what if this is the universe saving me from an accident down the street? Exactly. Yeah. There's lots of ways you can creatively think about this. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> also you can say, uh, if I leave earlier, I wouldn't be so uptight that I'm running so late in traffic. <laughs> yeah. You know, that is always that, of course. Chronically late. Um, but, okay, we have to stop talking. Okay. We do. Okay, so people, <laughs> if they want to find you, you are on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, Carrie White Hair. You're, there's a website. Carrie White Hairdresser for Instagram. Uh-huh. Uh, Carrie White. Isn't the uppercut Carrie White? The, the Carrie White is a website. TheCarrieWhite.com is Tumblr. Um, you're on everything. And then and and just then, get the book. You can get the book on Amazon. Just get the book. Get the book already. Download. See my see my video, too. We need to pump up those numbers. The video hits. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. there's but only... Wait, no, let's be honest. We want you to buy the book more than we want you to watch the video. Okay, The yeah. video's fine. The video's fine. But the book. Get the book. And there's 60 rare photos. Oh, yeah. I just was... Okay, I'm going to stop talking. But in your bathroom, it looked like those were... Photos from the book. Some. Some of them, yeah. And Margaret's not in the book. But, okay, you guys, you, you gotta... Well, there's one picture of me doing Anne Margaret's hair in the book. You gotta get the book so that you can see what we're talking about. Carrie White, thank you so much. Love you so much, Anna David. Love Davis. you so much. You are the party girl.